Well, good morning again, and uh, if, you, if you have a Bible, we're going to read in a different portion than we did earlier in the service, but from John 1.14, and then we're going to le- read from John 15.8 through 11. Well, it is here. Christmas is at hand. We, if, you, if you don't know dates, well, just look over here. There's just like one, there's two candles left, so that means it's really, really close, right? And so uh, I'm going to give you some advice this morning. If you want it, take it for what you will. Um, uh, I wouldn't go to Belden today. Um, I think that's a mistake. Um, and uh, if you haven't finished your Christmas shopping, uh, just write on a note what you wanted to get someone and tell them maybe in the new year you'll get it if you get around to it. I do that to my children. And so um, <clears throat> I think they'll be okay. So um, <clears throat> this morning we're, we're going to be in these texts. So we, we started off our morning um, singing a song. And the song is one that is probably many favorites. Um, it's joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Now, this song, it was written. It wasn't actually written to be a Christmas song at all. It was written from one of the Psalms. And it was really um, not about Jesus coming. It was about his first coming. It's about his second coming. Joy to the world. The Lord is come, meaning that his return is coming and imminent. And it was changed into a Christmas song, and so we're grateful for that because it's one of our favorites. But it, it says, the line after this, it says, let every heart prepare him room. And sometimes we think about that in the context of Christmas, and, and we should because this is a time of year where we sort of uh, recenter our lives. It's the end of a new year. We're celebrating the birth of our Savior and coming. But the question, right, there's a question in our life. Does your heart have room for Jesus? And all the busy, because if, I don't know, maybe you're not like me, but if you're like me, my life is plenty busy, whether it's Christmas or not. Um, It doesn't seem to make a difference whether you have young kids or whether you're retired. Like, life stays busy. Anybody with me on this? Right? And busy tends to push out room. So sometimes even we can be so busy in Christianity that we miss the object and the affection of our very own faith. So the song, it says, prepare him room. What if today we were to prepare him room? I believe that when we prepare room for Jesus in our hearts, there's this thing that will inevitably come from giving him space in our lives. And it's to our benefit. And the thing that will come, what will come, is joy. I believe that joy is what Jesus desires for each and every one of us to have in our lives. Now, there's two types, two types of joy um, that we can have. There's a transient joy and there's a transcendent joy. So the transient joy is this. And now, when you hear the word transient, you think, man, this is not good. This isn't good joy. It's actually very good joy. And I believe God wants us to have some of this transient joy um, because it's true. It's really what Christmas is full of, a lot of these transient joys. And so they're these things. Um, When my children open presents on Christmas morning, there's just something joyful about that time, right? Until they start throwing things at each other and breaking things. But there's something joyful about that moment. And even that, there's, there's joy in that. It's seeing a loved one that you haven't seen in a long time. There's a joy in that. There's a joy in sitting around a table telling stories of the past and the funny things you've done, like the summer you knocked your brother out three times on accident. And these types of things that we do at Christmas time, maybe not common to you, but these things that happen 
in our lives. There's joy in this. There's, there's joy to be found in life. I don't know if you've ate, ate a good steak lately, but there's just something joy of just a piece of meat and me, right? There's just something joyful about that. And so joy is, there's a transient joy, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's not where joy will ultimately be found. Because all of the things that we find those joys in are passing. Even as I said, some of them, for some of you, some of those things are already fleeting in your life, and you don't quite know how to grab a hold of where am I going to find joy. Now, the struggle with transient joy is we try to make it ultimate joy. And so we try to create all these spaces and these things in life that if I do this, I'll find joy. And if I do that, I'll find joy. If I go there, I will find joy. This and that and the other. But I believe what the Christmas story, I believe what the story of Jesus, I believe the gospel, I believe the good news, it's a declaration of a transcending joy. A transcending joy that no matter what the circumstance, what the situation, whether the transient joys have all gone or they're all at hand, there's a joy that can go through, cut through the middle of all of these. So where we tend to struggle with this is we tend to deal with Jesus too abstractly. We, we tend to put him at a, at a distance from our lives. And so for some, right, little baby Jesus in a manger... It's good enough for me because I, I don't want him to impose on anything else in my life. And so I'm going to keep him kind of in his quaint place where he's not the lion and the lamb. I want to keep him in, in this kind of corner of my life. And so another way that we might do that is Sunday mornings might be this great place. We just want to keep Jesus like one morning a week because more than that would be a little bit overwhelming in my life. So sometimes we deal with Jesus a little too abstractly. And this kind of common way that when we, when we deal with him abstractly, we, we tend to not prepare him room in our lives to experience the fullness of his transcending joy in our life. So, so I believe, again, that he desires his transcending joy in your life. I believe he desires it in my life. I believe he wants us to be a people filled with joy today tomorrow, the next day, month, year, and one day forever when we see him face to face. Jesus came so that we could have a present joy in our present struggle and a future joy in our future reality. I'll say that again. Jesus came so that we could have a present joy in our present reality in our present struggle and a future joy in our future reality. So let's this morning stand together and read John 1.14, and then we'll also read John 15.8-11. John 1.14 reads, you know what would be really helpful? <clears throat> you know, this morning has been a really weird morning. Micah, would you agree with that? It's like... Nothing's going right. Even the preacher's Bible's on the, marked in the wrong spot. So somebody's playing a joke on me today. All right. John 1.14 reads, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. Listen to these words. Full. He came. Full of grace and truth. 
And then John 15, verses 8 through 12, I believe, that reads, 8 through 11, reads, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is a verse we're going to focus on, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Father, would you help us today to understand your desire and the possibilities through the spoken word that you have given us, that your joy might be in us and that our joy might be full in you. Lord, reveal to us in greater ways what this might mean and how we might pursue it. And Lord, use me to any end you desire to do that. I ask in your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So in this verse, in these verses that we, we read, and in the life of Jesus, Jesus was and is calling us to a life of a different focus, of a different reality, of different motivation. It is not natural to us. It is different than what we are bent toward. He is shaping us and renewing us by the transformation of our minds. He is transforming our lives to live in a way that is not, is not natural to our humanity. And so in this, he's calling us to, again, a different focus, a different reality, a different motivation, that, we, that what we are aware of, one that is, keenly, that, is, that is keenly aware of who he is, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, the fullness of the reality that he lives today. And so just simply to say it like this, Jesus was born, he lived, by the way, he lived, Doing ministry three years, we know that from the age of 12 to 30, Jesus was living, right? He was pounding nails. He was living life. He was living obedient to the Lord underneath his authority and over his reign and rule where he lived, worked, and played. His totality of life was under the reign and rule of God. He lived. He gave. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many. He gave his life for your sins and my sins on the cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He was exalted to on high. Jesus is alive today, and he is empowering us to live in the fullness of his joy for his glory in our world. So, what do we see in these texts about Jesus? Well, the first, if you're following in the notes, is Jesus came in truth. Jesus came in truth. So concretely, we see this. This is just basically what chapter 1, John 1, 14 says. So simple truth. Jesus came full of truth, right? Full of truth, meaning that that he is the embodiment of truth. So being the embodiment of truth, meaning that there is false, there is fakery, there is things that are untrue, and Jesus came full of truth. So contextually, we see in John 15, which is one of my favorite sections of scripture, he he says, these things I have spoken to you. 
meaning that Jesus is verbally going to speak things out. He's going to affirm, right? He is the word made flesh. He is the epitome of the fullness of God walking in the flesh on this full of truth. So he says, these things I have spoken to you. So just a side note, whenever you say, when it says Jesus like says, I have spoken these things to you, when he speaks, it matters. I don't know if you have certain voices in your life that when they say something, you perk up, that you listen up to when these voices, so maybe the other way is there's some voices when they speak up in your life that you just go, whatever, I'm not listening to you anymore. Some have said that that's true for me when I'm out of the pulpit. Uh, Some small children have been said, don't listen to Pastor Ryan unless he's preaching. And so um, you may want to give that to your kids too. And so, so when he speaks, it matters. And just a quick heart check. When Jesus speaks, does it matter to you? When he says, this is how it is, do you say, this is how it is? Or do you frame some sort of response that doesn't just take him plainly as he says it? And by the way, Jesus says things in a very plain way. Truth, though, is not our enemy. It is our freedom. Reality is better than falsehood. Now, I don't know if you want to do this, but just think about it. Um, So sitting next to you, somebody maybe that you know or maybe don't know that well, but what if you know, you're sitting next to someone who knows you very well, and you just turned to them and said, hey, could you just tell me everything that you see in me as truth? Like, could you tell me how I interact, who I am, my faults, my errors, my, my goods, my bads? Could you just tell that to me? I don't know if you feel the way I do about that, but that feels a little overwhelming to ask someone those kind of questions. I don't know if you've ever asked someone those questions. I like it that my wife knows what I can handle and what I can't, right? And she doesn't tell me every truth that I need to know. But it's good for us, and I think in some ways we are a little bit fearful of what is true. Because truth is revealing, It shows flaws and errors and things that we don't necessarily want exposed. And so what we do is sort of this perpetual living of forgetting about it and hope it goes away. Anybody just want to be honest for a minute today? Raise your hand if you just kind of just want to forget about some falsehoods, errors in your life and just hope they go away. Raise your hand, anybody in the room? All right. You're far worse off than I thought. So... uh, (laughs) That was a trick, no. Uh, uh, All right. No, reality is better. Reality is better, and Jesus reveals what is truly real in life. So So there's a question, and the question is, what is this truth? Who is it? Where is it? Well, simple in big terms, truth is held by God and God alone. Truth is held by God and God alone. On all subjects, God is authoritative. On everything, he is supreme. Any subject in school, any subject in higher education, any subject in in regards to this world and to life, he is authoritative. Jesus embodies the fullness of this truth in life and specifically in how he lives life under the authority of God. His very word, like the revelation of God to us, the Bible is the fullness of truth, and it is a a plumb line of how God has called us to live under his reign and authority. And any time that we divert from his word and truth and how we live is sin, sin, 
and it's disregarding God and his ways that he has called for us to live. Whether it's in commission of, of going against it or omission of just simply not doing the things that he has said that we ought to do. So truth is our avenue, though, to joy. So the, the context of John 15, let's look at this for a second. So John 15 is right before Jesus is going to go to the cross and die. In the, the verse 1 of John 15, he says it like this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And so in this, what we see is there's this vine and branches that's going to go back and forth. John 15, 5 is maybe the most commonly quoted verse out of this section of scripture. And it says it like this, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in this verse, Jesus is a vine, we are the branches. If we abide in the vine, we bear much fruit. We have nourishment, we have nutrition, we have joy, we have life, we have peace. But when we live our lives disconnected from the vine, we don't experience the fullness and the nourishment that only Jesus can provide. And so he says in this, apart from me, right, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And so there's nothing in life that we can do of good or of quality without being connected to the vine, the person of Jesus, to truth, to the fullness of who he is and what he has done. So in this verse where we find ourselves, he says, after this section, he says why he's saying this. Why is he saying that you must abide in me and I in you? And he's going to give other illustration and images about this principle. But the big principle is this, that if we abide in Jesus and in his love, we will bear fruit in life. If we do not abide in him, we will not bear fruit in life and love. Now, it doesn't matter if you're a businessman, if you are home with kids, if you're a missionary, if you're a pastor. This principle is true. You can do all kinds of profession and work without Jesus. Christiana, right? I mean, have you ever met a missionary that kind of has become disconnected from Jesus? I have. This isn't immune to anyone. It's to all people, anywhere you find yourself. We can begin to do things in our own strength and our own efforts. And with that, what does Jesus say? Will we be fruitful in our work? No, not at all, whether in ministry or life. So Jesus concludes this, saying, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. Jesus spoke these things into us so that we might have joy. So how does this come? I believe abiding, this is the big principle. There's a reciprocating abiding that happens in this passage. He says that if you abide in me, what happens? I will abide in me. And so there's a reciprocating abiding. You and me and I and you. You and me and I and you. So when you go after Jesus, he's going to meet you there. And he's going to give to you as you give praise and worship to him. And it's this reciprocating abiding, resting, being in. And I believe this happens maybe in three ways. Well, two ways with kind of an, an, an end result. So joyful seeking. And now joyful seeking means this, I don't do this kind of seeking after Jesus with drudgery. Like, oh gosh, I'm such a bad Christian. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to check the boxes. I got to make this happen. But joyful seeking that I want to spend time with the one who loved me and gave himself for me. And so I open his word and I pray. So I call it joyful seeking. That I'm seeking after him, me and him, right? You and him and he and you. And as you abide in him, I believe there's a second thing that happened. And maybe there's, here's my word on it for abiding. Not just joyful seeking, but joyful soaking. 
It's spending time where you soak in all that he is, where you allow your mind to think his thoughts and for him to speak to you and you to him, where he guides your step, he guides your activities, where, he, where you allow him into your heart and life. And I would say that far too many Christians have never soaked in the Lord long enough, lingered in his presence, experienced his peace in the midst of struggles, But I believe that joyful seeking and joyful soaking brings promised peace, brings promised joy. The triune God meets us here in this place. David, he said it like this, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope is found in him. I believe when we find rest in our soul is when we seek and we soak in the Lord. So for me, growing up, I, I have three older brothers, and there was this common thing that my brothers would do to annoy me. Um, well, there was many common things they did to the youngest brother. And so one of the things they would do is whenever we were doing a project or working on our farm, my, I would begin to go after an activity or, or, or a job to do that my dad told me to do. And if it wasn't going well, one of my brothers would come up to me, and they would push me out of the way, and they'd say, let me do it. Now, I don't know, it's like this, it, you know, it's, it's like lighting a match to a younger brother. Has anyone ever just pushed you out of the way and said, let me do it? I actually had my daughter do this to me yesterday. And it's this really weird thing that it does inside of you. Am I the only one that does this? Let me do it. And uh, I'm like, you know, so then it would end up being some sort of wrestling match and whatever. And so I grew up as the youngest, any youngest in the room today? Man, there's a lot of good people here. And so... Uh, by the way, just so you know, mom does love you the most. And so uh, everyone really does. And so, uh, and all the others just said whatever. Okay, so, but, but there's a thing about even these things that, and, and it's not just true for birth order or where we grew up. There's this desire in our lives to prove ourselves that we have together. And so what that caused in my life was this living of, I can do it. So if my brothers did this, I can do it. And so that's why I have back problems today, right? You'd, you'd try to do things and prove yourself. Anybody ever struggle with that in life? Just trying to prove that you had worth, value, that you could do it, that, when, that no one had to push you out of the way, but you could achieve on your own. And you just kind of wanted everyone to say, wow, you did a good job. I believe that there's right, paths lead to places. And I believe this kind of idea of proving ourselves, the path of our mind, leads us to a reality of lies because there's there's actually nothing and I know that's that's like one side of like relationships and people but it can translate to this thing that I have to prove myself to God I have to prove myself in life I have to prove my worth I have to do and go after all these things in life and so the paths of our mind leads us to a reality of lies that aren't true at all The Bible doesn't say that you have to prove yourself to Jesus. The Bible just says you need to be in Jesus to be right with God. But what we'll tend to do in our Christian lives is we'll we'll, we'll tend to have to prove ourselves. And what we do will show our merit, our worth, our value in him. That's why those really good Christians, you know, they give all of themselves all the time. And then the really bad Christians, right, they just don't do much. And sometimes we put ourselves in the scale, These are simply lies, right? And 
I believe what Jesus wants to do, he wants to guide our steps into what is true. So Jesus came so that we could have a present joy in our present struggle and a future joy in our future reality. See, truth is the foundation of the joy that is ours. In truth and in truth alone, we can begin to walk down a road that leads to transcending joy in a reality that can be filled with joy. And so if we walk down a reality where I have to prove myself to others, it will not end in joy. It will end in struggle and discord. But if we go down a road where we we see that there's a savior who proved his love for us and that through faith in him, we can be set right with God and we can rest and be in him and out of our being in him will come plenty of doing for him as we obey him. So it's not that God doesn't want us to serve him and to live for him, but that is not where our joy is found. Our our joy is found in resting in who he is and what he has done. So second, Jesus came So first, Jesus came in truth. Second, Jesus came in grace. Jesus came in grace. So, grace, Greek word is charis, mercy, loving kindness. Concretely, John 1.14, Jesus said it like this. I have come, right, full full of grace and truth, full of grace. That this is the abundance of who he is, the epitome of who he is, the fullness of who he is. This is, this is, he is the embodiment of grace, the definition of grace. He is what true grace is, is and where it is found. So in John 15, 11, we see this. He says, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. So the avenue to joy is grace. The avenue to joy is grace. Grace, that which I do not possess, yet I deeply desire, can now be mine in Christ. And that is the forgiveness of my sins and my rebellion against God. Another way, simple way of saying what the definition of grace is unmerited favor. I have done nothing to earn the favor with God that I deserve. So, just side note on this, and this is like one of those moments if I could just like, just get down close to everybody, just like, we just look face to face. If you disregard Jesus in the day-to-day of your life, the reason you do isn't, isn't because you don't try hard enough, it's, it's not because you, 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 you you just haven't done the right Bible study yet, you're unorganized, that's not it. The reason is you haven't seen his grace. You haven't seen how much God loved you. I believe that grace is the single motivating factor of the Christian life. And I'm not here today to beat anybody up on living it or not, or doing this, or doing that. That's not what we do here. You see, I believe the unmerited favor of God on our lives through the person of Jesus is the sole motivating factor of Christian life. And, 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 and you, can, you can test me on this. Take this challenge. In the beginning of the new year, read all of Paul's letters. And as you read them, write what his emphasis was in every letter he wrote. Every letter he wrote, 
He was saying, oh, get the gospel correct. Even the one that had almost nothing positive in it, Galatians. He was saying, oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you've turned to another gospel? What he's saying is you've turned to works rather than grace. You don't see the fullness of who Jesus is and what he has done. Oh, fix your eyes on him. See, Jesus came in grace, grace that saves, that we can be saved in Jesus, that we can be justified, that we can be set right with God, that our sins covered forever. Grace that sustains daily that he can give me what I need to do all that he has asked. We call this sanctification, that he has sanctified me and he is sanctifying me and he's changing me by the renewal of my mind, by the changing of my purposes, by the convictions in my heart that he is sustaining me daily, pouring grace upon my life to live for him. And the last grace that remains eternally, forever, I have grace that has set me right with God and one day, forever, I will rest with him and be in him. Grace. The loving kindness, the mercy of God is ours in Jesus. So Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. And that word in is really important. It's not something distant. This transcending joy can be possessed in my innermost parts that takes me through the trials and struggles and joys and ups and downs and hills and valleys of my life. So in this, what we see is that, again, Jesus came in grace. Jesus came so that we could have a present joy in our present struggle and a future joy in our future reality. And this is found in his grace. His grace is where we find our joy. His abiding joy is found in his abiding love and grace. Which brings us to our third, last. Jesus came in truth, Jesus came in grace, and Jesus came in love. Jesus came in love. Now, love is a, is a bit of a, challenging word for us in our day in life because we love lots of things. Um, I, I love my children. I love my wife. I love my MacBook. I love tacos. Like I love lots of things in my life, but if you can tell in those things, some of those things are, you know, like there's an order to those loves, like my MacBook and my wife and children and such. Uh, is that... No. No, sorry, Uh, my wife, my children, God, right, no. But you're with me, right? These things, joy, love can can kind of, we can see it differently. Now, the, the word love that the Bible speaks of, this love that God has shown us and then we reciprocate to others, The word is agape, and it's this sacrificial, self-giving kind of love. It's a rare kind of love. It's a different kind of love. It's not the kind of love that we experience in the day-to-day of life with others. It's one that only God can show to us, and then through that, we can show to others. See, Jesus came in, in love. He came in a way to show us love and care in a way that no one else could ever show us or love us. So concretely, right, 114, Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came full gracious, but he, he didn't come without standards, right, truth. There are standards to our God. And so oftentimes we confuse God with our own definitions of love, 
Right? If God really loves me, he'll just accept me as I am, how I want to live and how I want to go about life. And that sounds really awesome and it's really good, but actually it's fairly terrible. If there was a parent standing on the stage who said, I just love my kids, and what that means is I just let them do what they want, when they want, how they want. What we call, in our, that, we call that in our house anarchy, right? That's just like complete insanity, and it's actually what is kind of common in our home sometimes, right? And so he says that I've come full of grace and truth. I've come full of love. See, grace and truth, these things combined, it's really the love of God. Because what he's saying is there is a reality, and whether you want to believe it or not, there is something true and real, and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess me as Lord. There is a reality that you think that joy is found in the transient things of life. It's not. Because they are all fleeting. They are all fading. And we can live as a foolish 20-year-old might live, saying that every person they date is the person that God is going to, you know, wed them to for the rest of their life, believing that everything in front of me is where joy will be found. Or we can live with wisdom, maybe of the age of a 70-year-old man or woman who said, I have tasted those things. I have made those mistakes. And joy is not found in the transient things of life, in the next best thing, in this or that. Joy is found in God and God alone. Another just challenge, read the book of Ecclesiastes. There's all kinds of things in life that you can ponder, look at. Solomon writes about all these things. And he says they're all vanity. But there's one thing that endures, and that is God. And he He is the only one worth living for. And I believe we could add to that that because in him, joy, transcending joy is only found in him. So, right, the context of John 15, that your joy may be full, right? He's not speaking of some sort of like dollar store joy here. Like he's talking about the big dog, the good stuff, like the real joy, right? We're not talking like, we're, we're like going to earth fair here, right? Like we're going to, like, to, to the good places. A few weeks ago, my dad, he was uh, irritated with some people in his life who, who, uh, who are very frugal and they have money, but yet they're frugal and they make him do lots of work. And so after church on Sunday, my mom said, hey, we need to get some groceries. And he goes, what's the most expensive place we can get groceries? And she's like, Why? And he goes, because I don't want to be one of those old frugal people that have money but doesn't spend it. So we're going to start buying the most expensive groceries just to prove in my own heart that I'm not going to be some stingy old man, right? There's my dad for you, right? And so they went to Earth Fair and spent a lot of money on groceries and were very healthy for a week. And so, uh, so, uh, that's my father. I'm not saying to adopt that. I'm just, that's my dad. So I love him. So, so in this, this isn't some sort of, this is, this, is, this is full joy that can be ours in Jesus. And many times we think of this joy, Jesus says it like this, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life, you may have it more abundantly. This abundant life, this joy-filled life, isn't some distant desert land, this, this, this <laughs> desert land, this, it isn't this distant island 
that people have spoken of and some kind of like, does it really exist? Does anyone know this kind of Bermuda Triangle sort of island? I think we treat the joy-filled life, the abundant life as such. But the story of Christmas is really a story saying that joy can be ours. Our hope has come. Our peace has come. Our joy has come in the person of Jesus. And it can be overflowing joy in our spirits and the depths of our soul and his residing presence and his overwhelming comfort as we abide in him and he in us, as we seek him, as we soak in him. We can have redemption, our sins paid for, restoration, our lives transformed, reconciliation. We can, be union, un, we can have union with him today and for all eternity. So, oftentimes this sort of joy is a lot like every app on my phone. I don't know if you're like this. There's some real awesome like techie people out there. Micah's one of them. Micah uses like, we have this thing called Planning Center and we have all these different things we use and he tells me Micah, Micah does this, uh, Brandon does this. They're like, oh, there's this great new app that's gonna help you. And so what I do is I download it on my phone because I'm all about my life being transformed by an app. And so I will download it on my phone and then I will start to use it. And what happens in my using of it is I will use 2% of its 100% capabilities. And so I use like a fraction, right, of what this thing could actually do to help me. You, you affirm this, right? And they say, oh, it's so great. You need to do this. And I don't do it. And I don't know if you have anything, unused platforms, right, these, these, these full capabilities of something. I, I, be, I believe this is the Christian life, that, that there's something being offered to each and every one of us in this room. There's this, there, there's this full capability of it taking root, doing something profound in our lives for our God and for our kingdom, for our joy and for our peace. Yet we just use about 2% of it. We just step barely into it enough to see that I think this would be good. But maybe on Monday I'll start to actually do it. But Mondays never really come around. And with that, Joy never really comes to the depths as God desires it in our lives. So I'll say it again. Jesus came so that we could have a present joy in our present struggle and a future joy in our future reality. His love is more abundant than we can know. And there is a joy available to us that is far beyond our comprehension. So just to say it again, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Might we not deal this Christmas, this year, next year with Jesus too abstractly in our lives, but might we consider today what it means to prepare him room, to seek him, to soak in him, to experience the fullness of his grace, the fullness of his truth, so that we might have the fullness of his joy in our lives. So Jesus came in grace, truth, and love. And will you meet him there and experience his truth, his grace, and his love personally in your life? So what I'd say today, wherever you find yourself, might you come to Jesus for his saving grace, his sustaining grace, and with a sure hope found in his eternal grace. 
Jesus said it like this, and the band's going to come, and we're going to sing a song. Jesus said it like this in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is calling us to be in him. He is the big ox that puts his head against the yoke and pushes, and we simply get to be in him and come alongside, behind. A friend of mine gave me an image of it one time. Imagine a little ox pushing as hard as they can at a yoke and how humorous it could be at the big weight behind. And as the big ox just sits there and kind of laughs, knowing that the small ox can't by any stretch push on that yoke with that heavy load behind. I believe that's where many of us find ourselves is foolishly pushing against a yoke that we can't move. But when we come under Jesus, when we're saved by his grace and we come under his authority and we live by his truth and his grace and his love, he is the one pushing against that yoke and I just simply need to be in him. And all the ground that he has for me to make in my life will only come by being in him, letting him push on that yoke. And in that, there will be a transcending joy in our lives as we allow him to be and do that which he is full of grace and truth for our joy. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We believe, we believe, Jesus, that you came. You came so that we might have joy. We might have life. Jesus, we believe today that you are full of grace, that you are full of truth. And Lord, we, we repent. We say that we have, we have tried to prove ourselves far too much. We have found joy far too firmly in the transient things of life. But Lord, we believe there's a transcending joy in you. That Jesus, you are full of truth. You have shown us how to live, to live right with you, God. To live in a holy and a righteous way. You have shown us what it means to be motivated by your grace in our very own lives. To live in your love. So Jesus, wherever anybody in this room finds themselves, whether encouraged and affirmed in their pursuit and joy in you or contemplative of where their joy is found. Help us to respond today, whether it's at these altars or right where we sit. For those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that today you'd give them courage and the strength to turn, to turn from their sin, to repent, to place their faith in you. Simply, they just come to you, Jesus. And today, give them your joy. And for those who know you, Lord, I pray you'd help us to keep, to keep pressing forward, trusting and resting and sitting, seeking and soaking in you. 
that you'd continue to do that transforming work that you've promised in our hearts and lives and we believe one day forever. Jesus, you are our joy. Help us to respond to you this morning, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.